following the story of God. I catch it up every week. Uh, that's not to be monotonous, but it's, it helps teach us and remind us, number one, what we're doing here. And number two, the story. Just like any other show, this is not a show, but a show you watch. They show you what went on in previous weeks. So that's why I do that. I'm not going to go as quick, as detailed as I have in the past right at the minute for Tom's sake. But I will say quickly that God created all things in the beginning, including Adam and Eve, first man and woman, who chose to sin rather than to be obedient and follow the Lord. And as a result of their rebellion, sin entered the world, death entered the world, uh, and all of creation is bound up in that curse of death ever since, including ourselves. Thus, you will die unless you are somehow sinless, and then I need to know about it. Um, But we will all face it because of dinner. But God promised Eve that he would deal with death, that he would deal with the enemy, that he would himself uh, as a child of Eve that he would write things. And that's what we've been following is that story all the way down. We followed it through countless generations, through a flood, uh, to Abraham and through his children until they became a nation of people known as Israel. We followed them into slavery. We followed them out of slavery into the desert where God himself spoke to all of them and gave them all his laws. And then which basically sounds like a burden to us because law sounds scary, but law is actually really good because it tells you, hey, this is what I, this is where I exist in this realm right here. And if you want to be with me, we can be together right here in this space. Um, that's a good thing. And they go into a land that he promised them, and in that land, they continue to rebel against him instead of being uh, faithful to him and staying close to him. Uh, don't think of it like they just keep breaking the law. Think of it like a man who continues to cheat on his wife or a wife who continues to cheat on her husband. It's more like that. And as a result, uh, they break into a civil war. The nation does. And you have the north and the south, very literally. Uh, the northern kingdom, God deals with first. In 722 B.C. history, look it up. God sends the nation of Assyria, not Syria, Assyria although they were part of it, to the northern kingdom, and they demolished the northern kingdom, and they dragged them all off and scattered them around the world into slavery. Uh, Babylon then conquers Assyria, right? And 586 B.C., God brings Babylon back, and Babylon conquers the southern kingdom, including Jerusalem. And Babylon takes captives back. And among them are three very famous people. Who? Daniel, the one we're looking at. Who else? Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I hear you back there, big man. Yeah, they're famous too. But the biblical books that are heaviest at the moment are these three. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel and Ezekiel are in Babylon. Ezekiel's just a slave among the people, more or less. Daniel is a slave too, but he's in the, in the, among the king, with the king. Uh, and Jeremiah is left behind in the disaster that is Jerusalem, more or less. So that's what their books are writing to talk us through. In 539, which we talked about last week, and the reason I'm giving you dates is because I want you to understand these things happen. These are not, you're not reading Harry Potter here, okay? God love it. You're reading history. So in 539 B.C., uh, Medo-Persia, Media was in, 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 in a union with Persia. They attacked and destroyed Babylon. And conquered the city of Babylon. And so that's where we are. Daniel is in a city that's been conquered now. 
He was taken slave by Babylon, which was conquered by who conquered Assyria. But now Media has Media Persia has conquered Babylon, and he's under a new king. So that's where we are this week. Living among lions. Most of us probably know this story, or at least some version of it, or have heard allusions to it. We're going to jump through it today. Uh, Let's read a couple of verses, and then we'll dive in. You already heard these verses, thanks to this lovely little lady over here. That was awesome. No, don't be sorry. Are you kidding me? We'll read it 20 times. I love that you read that verse. Uh, Then at the break of day, Daniel 6, verse 19, at the break of day, the king, this is Darius, who's a Mede, because Media has conquered, arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Lord, your word is epic, awesome, amazing, incredible. Thank you for giving it to each and every one of us, not just me. I love what Santana said. Turn around and look. They're over there. That's not a sales pitch. Lord, it's your word. Like, look. (laughs) This is... God's word written down like you you wrote it down. It's not a book. It's a it's a letter. You you wrote it to each one of us. Help us take it so seriously. Not not solemn, fearfully necessarily, maybe at times, but just God seriously like we have your word. Each one of us, not just this preacher on a stage. I love you and I pray your word is heard today way over mine. In Jesus name. Amen. So have you guys heard of uh, Timothy Treadwell? You may, you may not, but some of you probably will when I start telling you who he is. He, get, he actually died in 2003, but he got really famous in 2005 uh, because of an award-winning documentary that discussed his obsession with brown bears. Uh, the documentary was called Grizzly Man, um, and it's pretty wild. Tidwell was a recovering alcoholic and heroin addict who found an odd obsession with brown bears, uh, and kind of linked his recovery, he said, to the to the bears. And he spent 13 summers living among these bears uh, in a tent. And he got so close to them, he was so convinced with his belief system about what he thought about them and himself and this I'm one of them kind of thing, that he got close enough at times to be able to touch them, one or two, and even played with cubs once, uh, or at least... Maybe got away with playing with cubs once. And he was warned by the authorities in Alaska to stop, to stop, that leave the wild, wild. Uh, But he continued to push what he believed to be true about the risks that were involved. Uh, On October 5th, he and his girlfriend were attacked by a large male who killed and consumed them. Um, And since then, including this documentary, there's been a lot of discussion about whether he was a genius or a moron. Uh, you know, like a lot of debate about was he was he nuts or crazy, how stupid could he be? Uh, but he was doing what he did because what he believed to be true about the risk that was involved here. All right. Today we're going to look at a very familiar story of a man who lived not among bears but among lions and uh, didn't get eaten. But that's because his face was, faith was not in the fact that the lions are safe, but that the God that he served was alive and bigger and greater than any created thing. But I also want to make sure you see this something here, that he lived among lions long before he was thrown to the animals. 
All right. He lived among lions long before he was thrown to these animals that, you know, the, the lions he lived among were far more dangerous than those animals were in that den. So here's your point to remember. It's on the sheet. If you got it, great. If not, you can grab one. But one, one statement, our worship and service to God should be evident in our lifestyle, not just in response to threats or dangers. You understand what I'm saying? Our worship and our service both to God should be evident in our lifestyle, not just in how we respond to threats or dangers. Look at verse 1. We're going to cover most of this, but we'll do it quick. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom. Remember, Darius is the Mede who just conquered Babylon, so now he's governing Babylon according to the Medes. So he's changing things up, conquered city. He puts up 120 satraps. That's just a governor or a ruler. To be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so the king might not suffer loss. New king, new kingdom, need some security. Let's get these 120 guys. We'll put three guys over top of them, and those three guys keep the 120 in shape. Those three guys report to me. Daniel's one of those. Three. Okay. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials. So he, he, he is being recognized as greater value than the three he's beside and the 120 satraps below him. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Don't miss that. Underline it. Mark it. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he's going to make him number two. Some like to call this special favor. I hear that all the time. And there is such a thing as favor in the Bible. But people push that Daniel has some kind of special favor, some kind of a spiritual uh, anointing that is unique in some way. Uh, but it's not Daniel. It's the ex, do you see the excellent spirit in him? That doesn't mean he had a great attitude. <laughs> That's a person. What they're saying is that Daniel's receiving this because the someone that is within him, that someone is drawing people to Daniel. That someone is comforting people around Daniel. That someone is convincing people that Daniel can be trusted. Among other things, you know what I mean? So don't mistake what God does through you for something you're doing for God. You understand the difference? Like, don't go claiming it's some special force you got uh, when God alone is the source of all the favor anybody might see on you. You understand what I'm, where I'm coming from with that? Look at verse 4. It says, Then... Then the high officials in the state traps, all the leaders here, but the king, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. Look at this. With regard to the kingdom. That's important. With regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint for any fault because he was faithful. He was trustworthy. And he was honest. And no error, no error, that's huge, or fault was found. They could find, they could not even find a word. They couldn't even find a word. He wasn't perfect. It's not saying he was perfect. It's just saying in, as far as the kingdom goes, they could not find anything against this guy. Is it because they hate Daniel as a Jew? That may be part of it. Uh, is it because they want his position? That may be part of it, very much so. Uh, is it because Daniel won't conspire with them? We don't know. Maybe, hey, they've been conquered now. 
And new king, new kingdom put in charge. Maybe they want to steal. Maybe they want to skim off the top. Maybe they want to do these things. But is Daniel, the good boy, the honest boy, going to wreck it for all of us? Like everybody else is in league. Why can't we get Daniel? Don't know all that, but there's a sense of it. Because you have a new leader in charge, and it's likely these guys may be against this dude. But no matter how they dig into Daniel, he's loyal and he's honest. With the kingdom, now this is crazy, with the kingdom, he won't say, he doesn't need, they can't even find a word. They can't even find a, listen to me, they can't even find a negative word against the king. And before you jump on that and be like, man, awesome, good for Daniel, keep in mind, Darius is not a God-fearing, honorable man. Darius is a pagan with pagan beliefs and pagan gods ruling a pagan country. You know, he's probably not the political favorite among a lot of people who are God-fearing people because he's not a God-fearing man. You know what I mean? But no matter how they dig, they cannot find anything that Daniel has said negative about this guy. In fact, this pagan dude, both him and the previous king who was a pagan, they both trust Daniel, completely trust Daniel. Do you think it was difficult for Daniel? I don't know. You never hear him complain, do you? But I'm sure he had his moments. I'm sure it was hard for him to be faithful. Do you think he agreed with all their politics? 100% guarantee you he did not. And no, he didn't. Babylon was child sacrificing at one stage of the game. Uh, I know he didn't agree with it. What good can come from him being faithful in this case, though? Being trustworthy in this case? Well... They see, it says, an excellent spirit within him. They see something in him that's different. Everybody, of course, everybody's talking about the king. Of course, everybody's talking about. But with Daniel, why won't he do it? Something different with him. Something is different about him, unique about him. They witness his faith on trial, which we'll see in a second, and what God does through him. They see all of that. Uh, at least one pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, becomes a believer because of it. Uh, two pagan kings from different nations... Darius and Nebuchadnezzar changed their entire kingdom's uh, direction because uh, towards God because of what Daniel's doing. I, I, I wrestle with this one. I wrestle with this one. Like, what does God see in my talk? You know what I mean? What, what do people see in my talk? It can be both ways. What people see, man, there's something totally different about him. Why does he not? Why, why is he different with this? One of the most quoted verses in the Bible, which is often misapplied, uh, was written by Jeremiah at the start of the exile. And Daniel is living out his words. Listen to what it says. This is the verse you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Awesome. We say that all the time. But these people are being drugged off to 70 years of slavery as those words are being said. And then just before that. Four verses before that, verse 7 says, God's still saying this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you'll find yours. I'm driving you to this pagan city with these pagan rulers and this pagan king and all this godlessness, and I want you to seek the welfare of it. Pray for them. Pray for them. Don't pray, I burn it down. Pray for its welfare. 
You know what I mean? Is that any different for us? Peter said it like this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The same one that would crucify him for his faith. Moments after this, Peter is crucified by that person that he's telling you to honor. Peter, by no means, is calling him a good man. Why in the heck would you honor that guy? You know, Paul said it like this. He said to Titus in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them. Titus was a pastor and Paul had a disciple of Paul. And Paul is saying, remind your people. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. The same ones who would behead Paul and then skewer Christians on poles and light them to make streetlights out of. Paul says, be submissive to them. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. There's no way to twist that. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Let's not fight about it. Let's not fight about it. Now he's talking to the church. You would expect the opposite from people who are not part of God's family. But if you're in God's family, this is what he's saying. Be gentle. Show courtesy toward all people, all people, all people, everybody. And as a church, yeah, we stand for a kingdom worldview. So let me back up a second. We stand for a kingdom worldview, and we need to. We need to let Scripture drive the way we interpret politics, the way we vote, the way we do all this. Scripture has to drive all of that. But our goal can't just be to win a vote. Our goal has to be to see hearts changed. Because if hearts are changed, if people give their lives to Jesus, they will vote according to Scripture, and they will do far more than that with their lives. The nation will change in that way. So I'm saying it's both things, okay? But hold on. Before you get too too tight, let's keep reading. I'm going to show you something. Daniel 6, verse 5. These men said, we're never going to find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we're never going to find anything on him unless we go look at his own laws, his own scriptures. And maybe these officials went and looked at the Jewish laws, but they didn't have to go very far. They went to the very first one. Have no other gods before me. It did not take far, far for them to go. Very first law. Daniel's only rebellion here comes when they try to separate him from worshiping his God and force him to worship another. What I just said, what Paul said, what Peter said, what, you know, what, what all we just read in Scripture, it is true to the point that it pushes you to defy God. When it comes to the, the rulers, the authorities, the emperor, or God, you stand with the Lord. And that's exactly what he's doing right here. That's exactly what that's. But you better accept what comes from it. For Peter, it was a crucifixion. For Paul, it was a beheading. For Daniel, you'll see. All right? But, again, it's with respect and honor. You don't see Daniel go up and flip off the king and say, how could you do this? You see him, well, you'll see what he does. All right? So look in chapter 6, verse 6. These, then these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king, and they said, here's what we'll do. Oh, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, governors, all of us are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, be cast into the den of lions. Did they all agree? No. That's a lie. Who disagreed? Daniel. Daniel's one of them. So that's a lie. They did not all agree. 
Daniel did not. But the king doesn't know that. The king's like, okay, well, if everybody agrees on it, sounds great to me. It's only 30 days. Let's think about this a minute. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. It's only 30 days. Would you ride out 30 days? I can can go 30 days in a closet, you know. I can go 30 days without making a, you know, I can change it up for 30 days. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians. Put it in the Constitution, which can't be revoked. No amendments. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. He signed it. Sure, if everybody agrees, that's what everybody wants, let's do it. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, plain view, open towards Jerusalem. Facing east, he got on his knees three times. That uh, excuse me, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now the key here, as I've heard it preached a few times, is not when he heard he went. It's not the open windows where everybody can see. The key is as he had previously done. That, that's the key. For Daniel, the situation here is definitely dire and serious without a doubt, but it didn't remove any reason for him being faithful and thankful. Did you see the word thankful in there? Giving thanks? Giving thanks. What has he got to be thankful about in that moment? Well, that's the point, isn't it? He didn't race off either. It doesn't mean as soon as he heard, he raced home. That's not what it means. It, it, what it's saying is that even when he knew... He did his usual routine three times a day, front of the windows, facing Jerusalem, where everybody can see it, just like they always had. Now, how do you know that happened? Because they were red. They went straight there. Look what it says in verse 11. Then these men came by agreement. What came by agreement means is they made a decision together, and they went together. Like, they worked all this out. This is a conspiracy. It's not one individual uh, coming back and saying, hey, this is what I saw. Like, they knew what to do. They planned this thing out. And they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew he was going to do it. They knew he was going to do it three times a day because he always did, and everybody knew it. And they went and they caught him. The true lions in this story, man, are not the animals. Are you seeing this? These dudes... They knew how devoted he was, and they were certain beforehand that he was never going to fail to worship his God. This is convicting to me, and I'm not going to lie to you. Like, they were certain beforehand. Would anybody say that about you? Like, I, I wrestle with this myself. Like, look, I know him, and you can say we're going to meet up at, for coffee at 8, but not him because he won't come because at 8 o'clock every day he's in the Word. Well, this is a job opportunity. It doesn't matter. He's not, I know the guy. He's not going to leave until he's spent time in the Word. You know, she's, she's not about to miss church or miss whatever it is. She's not about to miss it. Not, not going to happen. I'm telling you, I know her. Like, that's what she does. It's never going to happen. Like, I, I, I wrestle with that. It's more than just saying, oh, well, he's a godly man or she's a godly woman or whatever. It's like a pattern of life that people see and know to the point. That they can threaten you with death and you're not going to change. Imprisonment, torture, death. You know, over centuries, and you can go back and read these things in your own time, but over centuries there have been millions and millions of believers who have faced 
um, being fed to the lions or some form of martyrdom. Didn't just start with him and didn't stop with him. Rome was famous for it. Carthage, which is a place in Tunisia, uh, I, I went to about a decade ago, and uh, m- the most Christians martyred in antiquity were ha- happened there outside of Rome. Rome was Colosseum was the big one outside of the Colosseum. Carthage was number two in Tunisia, North Africa. So I got some pictures, and I'm showing them to you because I want you to see something. So these are the ruins of the Colosseum, but you can see that pole, and it looks like a straight line going down. That's an underground tunnel. So hit the next shot. Uh, This is looking back across at that underground tunnel. I'm showing you this on purpose. What I'm standing on top of is the lion's den. What I'm looking at is the, at the other end, is where they kept the Christians who were waiting to face them. So they see each other. You can click through. i got a few more. So there's where the Christians were held. Plain view inside. That's inside. Where you can see inside it. They sat there waiting, looking out that cage. Go ahead. Looking straight down. That's standing in the, at the cage. Looking straight down at the other end. I think there's one more. And that's where the lions were. And they could see it the whole time. That's a lion's den, guys. And I'm not saying that to be freaky or upset you or any of that, but, but you need to understand that when, when this is, it, it is a cool kid story, but it's not a kid story. Like Daniel is going to real life lions, real life lions, and people face that. That happened. That's not just some ruins of a movie set. Like, Countless, countless people were attacked there and put to death just because they were Christian. Um, And just because people knew they were Christian. That's the thing. Knew they practiced their faith, even when it meant facing those. Look at verse 12. They came near and they said to the king concerning this injunction, Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast to the den of lions? The king answered and said, Yep. Stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, can't be revoked. Yep, it's true. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah. That's a derogatory remark. That's a slanderous remark. That's actually a bit of a racist remark. One of those trashy, exiled Jews is kind of what they're saying here. Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you sign, but makes his petition three times a day. He does exactly what he said he was going to do. How do you live among lions? This is key, man. How do you live among lions? How do you live among people like this when they're out to get you all the time, when they're ready to eat you up? Everybody, they're all out to get you. They're all ready to stab you. How do you do it? First Thessalonians 5.17. I'm going to do you a solid because this is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Just keep praying. What Daniel did, right? Just kept going. He just kept praying. He just kept praying. It doesn't say he went and performed some ritual. It doesn't say he offered 20 lambs. It doesn't say he did anything. It doesn't say he organized a rebellion. He just kept praying like he always prayed. He just kept praying. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, he was much distressed and he set in his mind to deliver Daniel. So now he's freaking out. What, Daniel? But he's made a law. He can't back out. And clearly this tells you something about, again, just like Nebuchadnezzar, Darius really liked Daniel. And Darius is like heartbroken. Like, how do I 
How do I get out of this? How do I get him out of this? He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. All day long, he's pacing. How do I get him out of this? 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 And it says, then these men came by agreement. Again, they all come together, planned to come together to the king. And they said to the king, uh, no, O king, that is the law. No ordinance can be changed. They're pestering him like, let's get this on. Come on. You made the law. You got to get it done. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. And the king declared, may your God, whom you continually serve. That is so awesome. You serve continually. May he deliver you, save you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, that it might not be changed concerning Daniel. Nobody's going to sneak over there and let him out during the night. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or entertainment like that kind of thing were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Think about this. This is a pagan king fasting on behalf of Daniel. Think about that. This is a pagan king fasting on behalf of Daniel. Would anybody do that for you? Anybody fast for you? Would a lost person fast for you? I mean, think about that. Have you done it for anybody else before you get too proud of yourself? Have you done it for anybody else? Have you done it for a lost person? Even for a night. You know, even for a night. Look at verse 20. And when I say you, back myself up here. When I say you, I mean me. This goes all the way around. So me too. When I write these things, when I write the word to you on my notes, I'm talking to myself. Dave, have you. Verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. So I picture he goes up to the den. The stone's still there. He lays on the den and he screams through the stone. Screams through the stone. You know, lays up against it and yells, Daniel. Servant of the living God. Man, I love that statement. What This guy knows this, that God is alive and that you serve him. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then he probably shuts up and sticks his ear on the stone. Hoping he hears anything. A whimper. Like anything. By the way, notice this idol worshiper is seeing God is alive through the life of Of a believer who is facing death. That's an amazing statement. Look at verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king. Oh king. Yeah. Little special effects for you there. Behind the rock. Oh king. Live forever. All the sound guys are like. Take your hand away from the microphone man. (laughs) Shake. I see you. Oh king. Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they've not harmed me. Because. I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Lions here were not harmless. An angel shut their mouth, it says. And ain't they, you know, what did that look like? I don't know. He doesn't explain. It doesn't matter. An angel prevented them from eating him. They were not harmless. They were starved. As a matter of fact, verse 24 makes that clear. You can look that up later. But they were clearly starved. Two reasons Daniel gives for this happening. He was innocent before God and innocent before man. The king in this case. 
Verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. And Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm. Not even a scratch was found on him. Kind of like our three boys who didn't even smell like smoke when they came out of the fire. Because, once again, because he had trusted in his God. Now, you can read the rest of this in your own time, but look at the last verse really quick. Verse 28 says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, who's the one we're talking about, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, who would take over the whole kingdom later. Cyrus would give the decree for the Jews to go back home after 70 years in persecution. So look at the fruit of Daniel's life right here, guys. Three kings. Three kings who have devoted, at least if nothing else, their attention to God. Three whole kings. Not because he survived the lions. That's not what did it. It's because of a consistent life of serving God in front of other people. Not on show, but seen. He did it in front of open windows. And got on his knees, not saying you have to do that, but that shows. Like, what's he doing up there? If he's just standing in the window talking to himself, it might not come across. Not that that's wrong. But he got in front of the windows. It wasn't about being seen for him. It was, he, that's what he, he, he was facing Jerusalem, looking at home. That's where his heart was. He went, got in front of the windows. That was his habit of doing that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says get on your knees, face Jerusalem, open windows. Bible didn't say that. that was, but I'm saying this was his habit. It was being seen. He got on his knees. It was being seen. They knew to find him there. Because he was so consistent and persistent at doing it that they knew he'd be there. They knew he'd be there. The king called him one who serves his God. That means the king knew that he was not just talking. It wasn't just talk for him. Oh, you know, God this, God that. I love God. I God this, God that. Uh, I, let me tell you about the Bible. Let me tell you about what it's like. This king said, no, he, he, he serves his God. Uh, the king said continually. So it was visible in his daily life. It was ongoing. And he wasn't sinless here, but there was no fault found in him. Get this, man. No fault found in him at all. Not by the king. Not by God and not even by his accusers, the people who wanted him to be wrong. They couldn't even find anything. The king wanted him to be right. God knows everything. But even these people who wanted him to be wrong. And look, you may not realize it, but God's not simply doing Daniel a solid here. He, he's painting a picture of his son. So this is the key thing. You, you can't miss this. He's painting a picture of his son. That's what he always does. Remember, this is the story of God, not the story of Daniel. Jesus is the picture here. No fault was found in Daniel. Even when he was examined, no fault was found in Jesus, even when he was examined by the governor. Daniel's given a death sentence. Jesus was given a death sentence by the same governor who didn't want to do it. Pilate didn't want to do it either. I find this man's innocent. I find no guilt in this man. The crowds want him crucified. Daniel, Darius, I, the guy's not, I find no guilt in this man. The man's not, the crowd want him crucified. The religious leaders wanted Jesus crucified. The leaders here want him crucified. Uh, he was taken to a den, Daniel was. Jesus was taken to a grave. The den was sealed with a stone. Jesus' grave was sealed with a stone. The 
mark of the king was placed on the steel seal so it couldn't be broken. The, the uh, Rome put the seal on the stone on Jesus' grave so it couldn't be broken. You know, they were, they were guarded. And at daybreak, just like Darius raced back to the lion's den, Jesus' disciples raced to the grave. Three days later at daybreak. Living among lions, right? Daniel was already surrounded by lions before being thrown into a den of them. And God shut all their mouths. All of their mouths. All of them. Christ was also surrounded by the same kind of lions before he was thrown into a grave. But God shut all of their mouths too three days later. When he walked out of that grave. Alive. Fully alive. Just as Daniel came out alive. Although Daniel was spared, Christ came out alive, going through death and coming out the other side. Look, I I don't know where you guys all are, but I know for me, a lot of times my life feels like I'm in a nonstop lion's den. I'm going to tell you right now. I feel like it is nonstop, coming from everywhere. Who's trying to eat me? Who's not? Uh, I wrestle with it sometimes. Maybe that's where you are. I don't know. Maybe... You feel like you're escaping their teeth by the skin of your teeth. Maybe you feel like they're chomping at your back end the whole time. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know where you are, but what I do know is if you put your hands in, if you put your life in the hands of Christ, he shuts the mouths of lions. All of them. Not just the animals. He shuts the mouths of lions. That's what he does. If you put your life into his Hands. He's the one who shut the mouth of the greatest lion you're ever going to face, which is death. That's what the cross is about. Paul said, death, I think it was Paul, death, where is your sting? If your life is in Christ's hand, it's gone. It's not there anymore. It can't have you because you now belong to him. And one day... Though you may walk into that grave and they may lay a stone over top of it, it's not, you're not staying. You're not staying if your faith is in the one who conquered that grave, the living God, the living God. Stand up with me. We're going to take another moment to reflect, and, and you all know how we do this. And it's, it's not, you know, this is not one of those times where I'm necessarily saying, oh, we need to have a deep spiritual moment, although it might be that for you. I don't know. It's really just a time for you to sit here, think, process what God's word said, and to think towards what may he be leading me to do with this. And look, man, if, if there's a decision you need to make, like, hey, look, it's time I did this. It's time I give my life to Christ. It's time I surrender it's, look, I need to let go of this. I need to turn my life to Christ. If it's, hey, I want to be baptized. If it's, I want to know about joining this church. I want to be part of this. If it's anything like that and you want to talk, come talk. I'm right over here. Or catch me afterwards. Whatever you want to do. Let me pray. God, your word is amazing. Um, I said that when we started. I'm saying it now. I say it all the time because it's easy for us to get into a mindset that this is a story and it's not. Daniel is a person who lived Lions are real. Um, the threat was real. The victory was real. The miracle was real. Uh, it didn't happen in some closed-off hole somewhere. It happened to a historical king that did exist in a very public way. 
What, what must that mean for us, Lord? Lord, let it shape the way we live our lives. Not that we want to be like Daniel, but we want to be like you. Lord, let us, let us live faithfully as you did. Lord, I thank you for all that you show us through your word of who you are. And help us follow that. Lord, help us follow that closely and encourage each other as we do. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.